So if you're anything like me, you probably have recipes in all different places. You've got cookbooks, you've got spreadsheets, you've got liked and saved Instagram posts. So let's be honest, recipe management can be difficult. But if you can organize and categorize recipes in a way that's convenient for you, then it will be a huge help in streamlining your plant-based meal prep. So in this episode, we're going to talk about how to get your recipes all in one place so you can create a plant-based recipe database and how to categorize those recipes for success. Do you want to eat more plants and less meat but don't know where to start? You're in the right place. Welcome to More Plants Made Easy, where we explore fun and practical ways to eat more plants and less meat. I'm your host, Christiana. I'm a plant-forward registered dietitian, culinary expert, owner of Gazi Nutrition, and founder of the Plant Forward Playbook Nutrition Coaching Program. Let's get started. Okay, so before you can even categorize your recipes, you really want to create a database for your plant-based recipes. So I'm going to walk you through the steps to creating that database. Now, you may be hearing the words database and are like, oh my goodness, that sounds so complicated. Really what I mean by database is just one place where you have a list of all the recipes that you use. It doesn't mean that you uh, have to create this complicated thing using Microsoft Access. But anyway, you'll see what I mean as we talk through. So here are the steps. Step one would be to collect and inventory your recipes. So where are most of your recipes? Most people have recipes in more than one place. So maybe you have the range of recipes being handwritten heirloom recipes from your grandmother all the way to saved TikToks featuring the the latest viral food trend. And all of those can be great recipes. So here's some common examples where you may have recipes. So thinking digitally, social media posts. Maybe you click that little bookmark tab or that bookmark button on your favorite food bloggers Instagram and then when you see your saved posts on TikTok or Instagram or linked or uh, Pinterest you've got tons of recipes there videos maybe you're on YouTube looking at recipe videos and you favorited them or liked them maybe you subscribe like me I subscribe to a recipe database um, through America's Test Kitchen And in that recipe database, I have the ability to save recipes. Maybe you frequent some food blogs and you've bookmarked those food blogs in a bookmarks tab on your browser. Maybe you have different browsers and they have different bookmarks. Maybe you have a digital notebook. Like for example, I have a OneNote and that's where I keep a lot of my, um, a lot of recipes because I, I, I like the format of OneNote. 
And then maybe you've taken screenshots or photos of a recipe that you see somewhere. Maybe it's been printed at a grocery store on a grocery store sign or something and you took a picture of it. Or maybe you took a screenshot of a photo or took a, a picture of a meal that you had. So you wanted to remember to try to recreate it at home. So those are places to think about where you may have digital recipes. Now the other format would be print. So this is a little bit more straightforward. Cookbooks, magazines, maybe you have boxes with recipes. So that might be where those heirloom recipes from grandma are or just things that you've clipped out of the newspaper, magazines, etc. over the years. Maybe you've even organized recipe clippings into binders or an album of some kind. And then maybe handwritten recipe cards, which again, could be in a box or could just be scattered wherever. So what you're gonna wanna do is as you're kind of taking an inventory, you may wanna declutter. So you may find that you have multiple copies of paper recipes, or you may find that you have a recipe in both the paper format or a digital format. Or you may find that you have recipes that are very similar to each other and you can kind of just get rid of some of them. And what I like to do is I like to organize my paper-based recipes, so things that I've clipped out of a magazine or something that was handwritten by myself or a family member into an album. Okay, so here's what you've done so far. You've kind of gone through and done a sweep of everywhere that you may have recipes. Now, this does not mean that you're going to take all of those recipes and put them into the same place. That wouldn't be practical. But what it does mean is that your database is going to point to the various locations of where those recipes are. You'll see what I mean in a minute. So you wanna choose a method for your database. Now remember, a database in its simplest form is just a list of your recipes and where you can find them in the various places that you keep recipes. So let's choose a method for your database. So this is, could also be called a directory, but again, it's one central document that points you to the location of these recipes. So pros and cons to paper-based. Some people like paper-based because it helps them process their thoughts in a different way. Maybe most of their recipes are paper-based anyway. Um, and it can be a nice thing to display. You know, you can have a really nice um, shelf with your cookbooks and your binders. But the downside of paper-based is that you can't access it from all locations, right? There's no cloud-based digital version of paper-based. And then with a paper, primary paper-based model, how do you account for, you know, the inevitability of you finding something that you like on Pinterest or Instagram? So pros and cons to a digital system are that, you know, it's just not as warm and cozy, I think, for a lot of people. So, you know, you're inevitably gonna have cookbooks, so how do you kind of manage that in a, in a digital system? Um, but the, the pro of digital really is that it's neater, less paper, and, um, you know, it, it can be cloud-based, so you can reference it from anywhere. So I choose a digital method, but 
Just because I choose digital doesn't mean that I don't have paper recipes. Of course I do. I have tons of cookbooks. I have a whole album of recipes handwritten by my grandmother. But I use a digital format for my database. And I use a Google Sheet, which has a lot of functionality similar to Excel. And I like this because it's cloud-based. So I can have it on my phone. And for my business, I actually share it with people. So I share with my clients um, on a quarterly basis a plant-based recipe database, which includes links to all of the plant-based recipes that I'm liking for the season. So it, it works for me personally and for my business. And so what it looks like, and this is also, this episode is also a blog post, so you'll be able to see screenshots of what it looks like. But essentially, it's really just a spreadsheet um, that has a list of recipes. If, it, if it's a recipe from a website, it has the URL linking back to that website. If it's a recipe that's in a paper-based form somewhere in my collection, whether it's in a binder or a cookbook, I include the title of the book and the page number. So that way, yes, I'm still maintaining my beautiful cookbook collection, but when I go to plan my meals for the week, I don't have to go sifting through my cookbooks and sifting through all the other places online where I may have saved recipes. I can just go to this one spreadsheet and then go out to my cookbook or to XYZ website. But it's all in this one place for the purpose of me planning my meals. Okay, so let's talk about how to categorize your plant-based recipes. So the first thing that you're going to do and this is if you're putting it in a spreadsheet, right? This is my preferred model, and this is really what I'm teaching you to do. Spreadsheet can be simple. It can be, um, you know, have some kind of formulas in it in Excel, or it can really just be as simple as possible. So you're always going to want to include the recipe name. Now, the recipe name I does not necessarily have to be what the author of the recipe calls it. I suggest naming the recipe whatever helps you identify it most easily. So here's an example. Let's say you find a recipe for a pizza or a flatbread online and it's called the green machine flatbread and it's got arugula and broccoli and pesto hence the green. So when you see the name of a green machine pizza in your recipe database, unless you've made that recipe before, you're not really going to know what the ingredients are. And part of the reason for having this database is for you to be able to see, okay, this calls for broccoli and I already have broccoli in house, so I'm going to make that this week. So I would rename that green machine pizza to broccoli arugula pesto flatbread. And then you could immediately see in the title, okay, yeah, not only does that sound good to me because, oh, I was really craving pesto this week, or, oh, this is practical because I have broccoli on hand. So first thing, recipe name. Second is the source. So what's the URL or link to the website? And if it's a paper-based website, where is it in your collection? So I have a big blue binder that's like my baking recipes. So these are all things that I don't have in a digital form. 
that I've cut out of a magazine or have been written by myself. And so a lot of my recipes will say blue binder page XYZ or sometimes just blue binder because I'm in there often enough that I kind of know where it is. But you get what I mean. So let's say it's easy plant forward meals, which will be the name of my future cookbook. <laughs> plant uh, page 26, you know. Um, and so that way you know, okay, yeah, this recipe is in the easy plant forward meal cookbook on page 26. The third thing is recipe type. Now, recipe type can mean really anything you want it to mean. For me, here are some examples. A recipe type. Is it a grain bowl? Is it an omelet? Is it a sandwich? Is it a flatbread? Is it a salad? Is it a side dish? You know, and if it's a salad, going back to the salad, is it a salad that's kind of like a complete meal? So maybe it's got it's got a protein, a grain, and a bunch of veggies. Or is it a salad that's more of a side? Is it a taco? Is it breakfast dish? Is it a muffin recipe? Is it a cookie recipe? So so you get what I'm saying. It's really the kind. Is it an entree? It's really the kind of food item that it is, and that's gonna help you be able to sort your spreadsheet if you're looking for something or do a control F to look for it. Um, and if you're really trying to build out a database that has a good variety of different types of recipes, it can be a good way to see, okay, I have a ton of taco recipes, but I don't really have that many pizza recipes, but my family really likes pizza, so let me add some more pizza recipes. The fourth metric, and again, these can go in any order you want. Um, this is just how I organize my spreadsheet. Day part. And day part is a very food service -y term, but basically what that means is breakfast, lunch, dinner, or snack. Some recipes can be either lunch or dinner, or both, you know, and if you don't love breakfast for dinner, then I don't think we can be friends. I'm <laughs> just kidding. But it, think of it in the most traditional sense of what that recipe could be used for. So in most cases, sandwiches are going to be classified as lunch. Now that doesn't mean that you can't have a sandwich for dinner, but just think of what probably the most traditional day part would be for that recipe. Next up is season. And this is one of my favorites because I love cooking with the seasons and I love adding new recipes to my database and sharing those new recipes with my client clients as the seasons come up. So when it comes to seasonality, there's really two categories. The first is evergreen. And evergreen are recipes that are, are seasonless. And what I mean by that is they're, they're like your favorites. They're your go-tos. They're the things that you can whip together almost without a rest. They're tried and true. Your partner loves them. Your kids love them. They're affordable. Maybe you almost always have the ingredients for them on hand. And maybe they, they're just kind of seasonless. So they have ingredients that are available year-round that don't really have a seasonality to them. So you want to have those evergreen recipes in your database. So they'll really be the core of your meal planning. For the sake of variety, you'll add some seasonal recipes. Now, seasonality tends to be thought of as far as certain ingredients that may 
call out a season. So like for example, if I see a recipe with corn, I automatically think summer. Even though you can use frozen corn or canned corn at any time of the year, I tend to think of corn as summer or something with like cherries or blueberries or peaches. You know, that's really a summer type of meal. Now, for a winter, I might think of things that are heartier. So like stews, you know, like a, a mushroom, a vegan, ra- a vegan ramen with mushrooms would be a great winter recipe. So think of ingredients and think of whether it's how it's prepared. You know, if it's if it's a hot meal, then it might be not necessarily, but it might be better for the winter or the fall. You know, and then there's definitely fall things, right? There's pumpkin flavored things. There's squash. You know it when you see it, what season it is. And I find that it's useful to categorize those by season and I think it just adds some fun to your meal planning. Next up is cultural inspiration. Now not all foods have a cultural you know relevance or inspiration to them but I think it can be helpful to include that you know whether it's you're tagging something as Mexican or Italian or Thai or Middle Eastern because those cultural foods depict certain flavors that you might be craving or depict certain things uh, that you might have on hand. So let's say you've got a big old thing of chipotle peppers. My husband and I always have canned chipotles on hand because my husband likes to chop them up and put them in his salsa. He likes that smoky chipotle flavor. So I'm like, okay, we've had these chipotle peppers in here for a million years. We need to use them up. So I might sort by Mexican and see what chipotle recipes I have in my database. And again, this is culture through your lens. So (laughs) it doesn't have to be authentic. Next is protein type. So examples of protein on the animal side are salmon, tuna, you know, seafood, scallops, clams, etc., beef, chicken, turkey, and then on the plant-based protein side, tofu, tempeh, beans. If the recipe doesn't have a protein source that's either meat or like a soy-based or bean-based protein, I'll just put veg. And this is really, again, for you to identify whether or not you have that protein on hand. So maybe you've had a thing of tofu that's in the back of your fridge that you really need to use up. Um, And again, just because something in the recipe, the original recipe is written with tofu doesn't mean that you couldn't swap you know, chicken or tempeh for that tofu. It's just a way to get you thinking about using up that tofu or if you're craving something um, to find a recipe that's going to match that craving. And then lastly is is ingredient tags. So I find this really helpful and this is what I used to do in corporate food service. So you take a look at the recipe. Next up is ingredient tags. And so how this works is take a look at the recipe and you want to look for things that the recipe calls for that are outside of what 
you commonly have in your pantry. So I think earlier we were talking about blueberries and corn just as summer foods. So let's say you, you come across this really delicious grain salad. It's got farro and blueberries and corn and like um, a balsamic vinaigrette dressing and it's going to be a, a perfect side to some grilled tofu. Now Maybe you typically have farro in your pantry, but maybe not. So you would want to include farro in your ingredient tags. You would want to include blueberries and corn, and maybe there's some fresh herbs in this salad. So these are things that you wouldn't typically have on hand. Whereas if you were categorizing a pasta recipe, you know, that called for spaghetti, right? The spaghetti pasta and a jar of marinara sauce. Maybe you wouldn't list those as ingredient tags because there are things that you typically have in your pantry. So the point of an ingredient tag is for you to be able to do a quick scan or sorting depending on how or control F, you know, however sophisticated your Excel skills are and being able to quickly look at a recipe and say, okay, I know I'm gonna need blueberries for this recipe, or oh, I happen to have blueberries on hand, and I see that's an ingredient tag in this recipe. Let me check this out more. Maybe I wanna make that this that week. The last thing that I think is important to include is a satisfaction scale. So as you try new recipes, you should rate them. You know, whatever rating system works for you, if it's you know, excellent to pour, or if you want to do a stuff, you know, one to five point star scale, whatever works for you, include that. Because if it's something that, you know, was kind of middle of the road and you would make again with some adjustments, you can write what those adjustments are. If it's something that was so terrible, you hated it, your family hated it, you know, make it one star or delete it. It's, it's up to you, but the point is to recognize that satisfaction is important in selecting your recipes for your weekly meal prep as well. And then again, this recipe database is yours, so you can categorize it however you want. You don't have to include any of the categories that I mentioned, and you can include other categories, so things like how easy is it to prepare? Did my family like it? What does it pair well with? All right, and lastly, here are some tips for maintaining your recipe database. Try to keep it fresh. You know, there's always a new viral food trend on TikTok or Instagram. And if you're listening to this, if you've listened to this entire podcast episode, chances are you're really into cooking. So you definitely want to take advantage of places like Instagram and TikTok where there's just some fun food trends going on. So keep your database filled with those fresh ideas. And know that you do not need to do this all at once. You know, at the beginning I mentioned going through your recipes, putting them in one place. You know, you could maybe do this one category at a time. So let's say you've got a ton of recipes saved in that little bookmark on Instagram. So maybe you do that one week and then next week you focus on food magazines that you've that you've kept. Or you can just do it as you happen to reference a recipe from wherever you have them. You know, you can build it over time. You're not going to build this all at once again, especially if you're a foodie, which you have to be if you're listening to this episode. <laughs> 
Uh, and then make sure to include things you like. You know, this is all about what recipes do you like? You don't want a database full of recipes that you don't like because that's not going to help you in your meal planning, very meal prep, right? The, the whole point of this is to streamline meal prep, to have a database that you can go to that has recipes that you like that you can quickly pick. So here's your call to action for this episode. I want you to download my free plant forward made easy meal prep guide. And in that guide, there's a month worth of, a month's worth of plant-based lunches. And it includes my plant-based recipe database that has over 80 recipes. And those recipes are in a spreadsheet and they're already categorized based on the categories that we discussed earlier. So that gives you a huge jump, a huge starting point, and then you can personalize that and add your own recipes to it. So I'll include a link to that in the show notes. Go ahead and download that. Thanks for joining me today. Enjoy your food, and I'll see you next time.